uh, don't say anything. But on the final day, it says when the trumpet sounds. See, that trumpet was an invocation of God. That trumpet, we know, was the, uh, the shofar blast was to invite two things, one worship and one warfare. And so when the shofar blasted, it was a time for them to worship, but it was a time for God to implement warfare against his enemies. And so they began to shout. They just began to shout. We were talking this morning about shouting forth his glory, shouting forth his praise. That's our side. That's us on this side of the wall. Let's shout forth his glory. Let's honor him. Let's give him praise. And as we praise him, the spirit of heaviness, that wall of defense that the enemy has pressed against us is destroyed and brought flat, not by our ability, but by God's ability to destroy it. I need this thing destroyed today. How about you? I'm kind of working on it. I don't want to live in discouragement. I don't want to live in defeat. I don't want to live in wondering all the time what's next. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 28 that God wants to make us the head and not the tail. Now, if you've ever heard this saying, maybe it'll stand out in picturesque form for you, but the lead dog is the only one with a good view. Amen? He's a head, not the tail. Sometimes we just need to grab our dog by the tail and shake it and say, I'm on the front end, not the back. He said, I want to make you above and not below. I want to give you victory, not defeat. Jesus did not go to that cross so that I could live a defeated life. He's the conqueror, makes us more than conquerors. He is the victor. And because of his victory, I can live in victory. And you can live in victory. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the abundance, full. I'd say we're kind of living below our privileges today. Hmm? How you got, how you got an abundant life? Who's got abundant life? You know, I don't want to infer that we don't have it. I just, I think often we live below our means. In the story of the little lady in England, little cottage, countryside, somebody went to visit her. And he was, as he was visiting, she's making tea. And he's standing, he goes over to the wall, and there's this little plaque on the wall. He's reading this plaque. And he turns around in astonishment, and he says, this is beautiful. And she says, oh, yes, I, I worked in the palace for many years. I was a servant to the queen uh, until she passed. He said, really? He said, do you read? He says, no, I can't read, but it's beautiful, isn't it? He says, do you know what this says? He says, no, I've never had anybody read it to me. He said, well, let me read it to you. And this script in this frame on her wall gave her absolute privilege to the palace for the rest of her life. She could eat at the king and queen's table every day if she wanted. She could call for servants to take care of her. She had everything carte blanche. It was provided for her by edict of the castle. But she was living out in a little cottage because she didn't know that what it said. I think there's something about this book we ought to be involved in. Because we will live below our means if we don't know what that says. And Jesus said, I came that you might have life abundant. And then he nailed his to the cross. Right? He made the payment. There's no more payments necessary. It's all paid for. I think he just wants to encourage us this morning that this is ours. You know, this is, I'm not giving you a name it and claim it gospel. Pick out what you want, claim it, say it in Jesus' name and have it. I'm saying let's have what we should have. Let's say, let's not make up things to have. Let's just have what we should have. Yeah. <laughs> Abundant life would be plenty, right? I don't have to make anything else up. I would not want to limit abundant life to a car, certain kind, or a house, or whatever it is I'm trying to get a hold of in my claiming. 
I just like to ease into the abundant life of Jesus and let his life flow through me and see it touch the lives of those around me with joy, driving out sorrow. Amen? With a spirit of praise, driving back that heaviness. And this is the price. We get to celebrate it today. Jesus says, as often as you eat this bread, drink this cup, you do it in remembrance of me, do it until I come again. Do you think he's coming? How many vote for soon? (laughs) Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. So Lord, as we hold these elements in our hands today, we recognize that they are simply instruments by which we conduct our thinking into a place of recognizing the tremendous price you paid at the cross so that we could be free. We were lost in sin. We were bound in our waywardness. We were enemies of yours, and yet you took the initiative to take our sins into your own body and nail them to the cross so that we could be free forever if we would put our faith and trust in you. Lord, today I put my faith in you. I thank you. I call upon you as Jesus the Savior. Forgive my sin. If you need to make this prayer, make it yours. Just talk to him. Lord, forgive me. Remove my sinfulness. Bring me close to you. Help me to live with you, by you, from you, and eventually for you in this earth. Lord, thank you for the payment of your broken body. I know you suffered intensely. That's not even a good enough word. Agony, shame, my pain drove you to that by your great love for me. Thank you for that. And your blood was spilled because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness, there is no remission of sin. Lord, your blood was enough to buy my salvation. Thank you. Thank you for providing it. Thank you for sending someone to announce it to me. Thank you for bringing us to a place where we could confess our faith and trust in you. And this morning, recognizing that we are together the body of Christ. Lord, as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do it in remembrance of you. Let's do it together this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for simple things, powerful things. He took the cup, gave it to his disciples, said, drink all of it. This is my blood, which is shed for you. Let's do that. Thank you, Lord. Now let's just release praise to him. Tell him what you want to tell him this morning. Thank him for what he's done for you. Lord, I give you glory and honor and praise. Lord, you called me to freedom. Thank you for setting me free. Thank you for acting upon me. Truth, truth to make me free. Lord, I praise you. Thank you for him. Thank you for this in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You are glorious. You are mighty. You are our righteousness this morning. Amen. right there she wants to make an invitation to you but she doesn't know that yet so. 
Bob said I should make you do this. Tell him about this afternoon. Where is he? He's gonna he's gonna help up here though. Thank you for the invitation. And of course, as you're going down the street, you know where Man Drive is, where the little left-hand turn lane is? Not too far down. Turn in on Man and make the second left, and you're on Lofty View. That's today? This afternoon? We wanted to let him ease into being 40. Shan has a, a binder. Do you have it with you? Every year, Crabco Construction takes these binders around to the different churches and different organizations in order to take sign-ups for in complete turkey dinners in a box with everything you need for, for family. You actually put in here your name, number of adults, number of children, and they'll custom make all the stuff you need for a Thanksgiving dinner. And they'll drop it off here on Tuesday just before Thanksgiving. And... Uh, they do that as a as a ministry, as a gift to the community. They give out, I don't know, two or three hundred dinners. And so if you know somebody that needs one, or you need one, um, they're, they're not specific on this. Uh, they'll take the needy and the greedy. <laughs> I tend to look for the needy. Uh, but if you know somebody that, that could use this, a family that's, you know, that would benefit from it, you can, you can write their name down, connect with them so they know it's coming. Um, I would suggest that if you do that, make sure that their cooking devices are working wherever they're living. Because it's no fun having a big turkey and no way to cook it. Uh, but you can sign up that with, with Shan. And that's a big blessing. Uh, the construction company gets together to buy all the stuff in bulk, and then they get their crew out there and they build these boxes all day long and deliver them all over the community. It's just something they love to do is giving back to the Lord. Kind of neat, huh? Yeah. Anything else I had to announce? I sure hope not. In your bulletin, there's a little handout. Looks like that. I hope y'all have one of these. Just want to give give a chance to get it out. Uh, I'm glad to be quote in the pulpit this weekend myself. I'm appreciating the fact that the elections are complete and. Uh, you know, we're into a new political season. But let's remind ourselves that is not our salvation. Don't relax. We're far from safe or saved by, we're never saved by government. Okay? They don't, they don't save us. Jesus saves us. Warren Wiersbe said this, Whenever a nation needs healing, it's usually because God's people aren't obeying and serving Him as they should. We like to blame dishonest politicians and various purveyors of pleasure for a nation's decline in morality, but God blames his own people. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and will heal their land. So it does come to rest with us, doesn't it? And we hear that scripture from time to time, the judgment must first begin at the house of God. And uh, hear the residents of the scripture again saying that if we would judge ourselves, even in the 1 Corinthians 11, 
the passage that deals with Paul and in, in what we just celebrated communion. It says, you know, if we would judge ourselves, then we would not need anybody else to judge us. So we're the church is supposed to take the leading role in repenting and asking God to come. We're, we're to take the leading role in turning from our sin. According to this passage of 2 Chronicles 7, 14, very classic place of Scripture. And if we will do those things, then God says, then I'll hear from heaven and I'll forgive your sin. We need that. And then I'll heal your land. So we can't point the finger outward, can we, in these political climates? We need to run to the cross ourselves. We need to be very, very much approaching our responsibility to pray and repent and ask God to forgive us as the body of Christ, us individuals, but as the body, and uh, then confess the sins of our nation before him on a regular basis and ask for his mercy. And as long as we're asking for his mercy, then we're, we're in alignment with the scriptures in Ezekiel 22, 30. It says, I sought for a man among them who would stand in the gap and build up the hedge so that I wouldn't have to rush in against them with my judgment. But in that passage, he said, but I found no one. But let's not let him say that about our generation. Amen. We don't have to just throw off our, our uh, hope. We can say, no, we're going to be those that stand in the gap and build up the hedge. Next time you go shopping at the Gap or you wear a Gap shirt, um, you can remember it stands for God Answers Prayer. Standing in the Gap. Our trust remains in the Savior and His plans for us to spend eternity together. Isn't that a cool thought? He's looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. But for now, we kind of live in here on mission. We're living here with the responsibility to tell the gospel to our, gospel to our family, our friends, our neighbors, and, uh, and to lead in the way of humility and repentance. If you look at the back of that little flyer I just mentioned, there's a song on it that says, I'd rather have Jesus. You'll be pleased to know that I have the track for this song, and I was going to sing it for you this morning. You'll be pleased to know I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Sing it. <clears throat> it says, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name. He's fairer than the lilies of rarest bloom. He's sweeter than the honey from out of the comb. He's all that my hungering spirit needs. I'd rather have Jesus and let him lead. And the chorus says, Then to be the king of a vast domain, or be held in sin's dread sway, I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Let's read the Apostle Paul's thoughts on this together. And if, if you'd like, we could actually just, if you don't have your Bible, you could even open this and it's, it's on the inside. But that's the amplified version. Maybe I'll just read from there. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. For the rest, my brothers, delight yourselves in the Lord and continue to rejoice that you're in Him, 
To keep writing to you over and over of the same things is not irksome to me, and it is a precaution for your safety. Look out for those dogs, Judaizers, legalists. Look out for those mischief makers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we Christians are the true circumcision who worship God in spirit and by the Spirit of God and exalt in glory and pride ourselves in Jesus Christ and put no confidence or dependence on what we are in the flesh and on outward privileges and physical advantages and external appearances. Though for myself I have at least grounds to rely on in the flesh. If any other man considers that he has or seems to have reason to rely on the flesh and his physical and outward advantages, I have still more. And he begins to list these things. Circumcised when I was eight days old, of the race of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew and the son of Hebrews. As to the observance of the law, I was of the party of the Pharisees. As to my zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. And by the law's standard of righteousness, supposed justice, uprightness, and right standing with God, I was proven to be blameless, and no fault was found in me. It's quite a list of personal accolades. He continues, but whatever former things I had that might have been gain that might have been gains to me, I have come to consider as one combined loss for Christ's sake. Yes, furthermore, I count everything as loss compared to the possession of the priceless privilege, the overwhelming preciousness, the surpassing worth and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and of progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, of perceiving and recognizing and understanding him more fully and clearly. For his sake, I have lost everything and consider it all to be mere rubbish, refuse, dregs, in order that I may win and gain Christ, the anointed one. And that I may actually be found and known as in him. Not having any self-achieved righteousness that can be called my own. Based on my obedience to the law's demands. Ritualistic uprightness and supposed right standing with God thus acquired. But possessing that genuine righteousness which comes through faith in Christ. The anointed one, the truly right standing with God which comes from God by saving faith. For my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly, and that I may in the same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection, which it exerts over believers, and that I may so share his sufferings as to be continually transformed in spirit, into his likeness, even to his death. That if possible, I may attain to the spiritual and moral resurrection that lifts me out from among the dead, even while in the body. 
That's a lot of reading. But that is an excellent passage, of course. Paul, in his own way, is saying, I'd rather have Jesus than anything. I'm wondering today if that is the heart cry of the church. Is that the heart cry of you and I as believers? Is that my desire? Is that my sole focus? I, we have got a lot of things to take care of, don't we? We have a lot of business in life to manage. And our jobs and our homes and our families and our stuff and maintaining and being involved and all the things we're involved in. But somewhere in there, there's got to be a singular focus that we say this is where life stems from. Paul says, I'd rather have Jesus. The most valuable pursuit of his life was knowing Christ Jesus. I, I kind of think Paul knew him pretty well. Would you agree? That'd be your summation. Paul probably knew Jesus. Oh, golly, he probably knows him better than I do. That's how I feel about Paul. I mean, here's a guy that caught up into the heavens and tutored by Christ in the desert. And, I mean, intimate first meeting, right, on his way to Damascus and blinded. And who are you? And I'm the Lord Jesus whom you're persecuting. And I mean, this is pretty face-to-face stuff. I've not experienced a lot of that. Have you? That doesn't mean it's unavailable. It just means that Paul's got a little leg up on me. To know Christ is not simply to have intellectual knowledge of him. Paul uses the word, and we've heard it here not too long ago in another message. He uses the word ginosko. It means to know someone experientially and personally. You don't want to just know about your friends and be able to tell other people about your friends, right? You want to really know them. You want to hang out with them. You want to experience them. You want to know what they like and what they don't like. As as one marriage counselor said, you want to know what makes them tick and what makes them ticked. (laughs) Paul taught the Ephesians church in that passage in chapter 4 that one of the functions of leadership as a church is to build up people in the knowledge of the Son of God. Chapter 4, verse 3, Ephesians. But there the word is very similar to this. It's epigenosko or epigenosis, and which refers to a full knowledge that is correct and accurate. The church leadership is responsible to help believers gain a full and complete and accurate experiential personal relationship with Jesus. That's a heavy responsibility. If I feel like I should have to go to every one of your houses and do it with you so that I know what's happening, that's what the responsibility feels like. I know that's not the case. That's not how it's going to work, and you're probably glad for that. Remember Clifford Larson? Some of you remember Clifford Larson. He used to be a part of the church here, and he's down in the desert now. And He pastored in uh, Minnesota, I believe it was. He said, Pastor Jeff, this is what I used to do when a new person or a new family would come to my church. He said, I would, I would visit with them for a moment and I'd say, listen, I want to help you learn how to have uh, devotions at your house. Would, would that be all right with you? And they'd usually welcome me to their home. He said, I'll be over. What time do you get up? And they'd say, well, we get up at about 6 and we breakfast about 7 and then the kids are off on the bus or whatever school about 7.45. He says, okay, you're up at 6. He says, so I'll be at your house at uh, 
every day for the next two weeks. And he would go to their house every morning for two weeks, and sit at their kitchen table, and he says, here's what I want. He would order the morning for me. So here's what I want you to do. Go ahead and do it until you get breakfast ready like you normally do, and uh, get it all. But anything you got to keep warm, keep warm just a little longer. Leave it on the stove if that's the case. He said, but we're going to gather around the table. I'm going to lead you in reading the Bible and praying at the table with your children, your family, every morning for two weeks. And that will happen right before you serve the breakfast. And then we'll just eat breakfast together and fellowship, and off we'll go to the day. He would do that for two weeks. And then at the end of two weeks, he had dad or mom both shown how to do it. He said, then this is all you have to do to be really great Christians and followers of Jesus as well. All you have to do every day. Just do this at home and you'll, you'll be fine. And of course, when he did that with the families of the church, every one of the families thought all the other families were doing the same thing. Even if they weren't. But he told me, he said, I never had one divorce in my church. Never had any kids on drugs. Never had any kids running off from the parents or getting into alcohol and stealing and doing mean things. He said they were focused around Jesus. He said, that was my proactive plan for helping every family understand this life of Christ, getting to Ginosko Jesus. Is that powerful? So tomorrow morning, (laughs) who wants me to come? (laughs) Having a full knowledge that is correct and accurate. When Jesus said, in John ten twenty seven, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. This is the same word. I know them completely. I know them accurately. I know them experientially. I know them personally. He doesn't just talk to the Father about you generally down there on earth in that sense. He, he knows you inside out. He knows you better than you know yourself. He wasn't just talking about knowing our identities knowing us really personally. There are days I long to just have Jesus be in the pulpit here. We could just gather around him and come to know him. Are you taking time to know him? One of the real threats against knowing anyone personally or intimately is busyness. Getting too busy. Mm Mm-hmm the story of the husband and wife that he came home as a businessman and always busy, busy, busy. Came home and his wife said he was upset with him and he wanted to know why and he said, well, let me explain it to you. Every day you get up and you, you get up real early and you shower and you get all your nice clothes on and perfume and cologne and that and then off you go to a business breakfast meeting before work and you're with a lot of people and you talk and you have fun and and you have friendships and develop, and then you have a little leftover on your breakfast plate, so you put it in a to-go box, put that in a sack, and you carry it back to the office with you and put it in the fridge. And then you have a business lunch meeting, and off you go out with two or three friends from the office or maybe an appointment with a customer or a potential client or something, and, and you have a nice restaurant setting, and you eat lunch, and you have a little leftover, so you put it in that box, you put it in the fridge when you get back at the, the office. And, and then you call and say, hey, I'm sorry, honey, I'm going to be a little late, have a dinner appointment with some clients. I'm going to meet them on the way home, eat dinner. He says, do you have a nice restaurant, candlelight and all that? Put your leftovers in a box and put them in. And, and you come in the house at the end of the day and you walk into the kitchen and you drop that on the table, that three little tiers of leftovers, and you drop it on the table. 
And that's all I get out of you is leftovers. That's a pretty vital complaint. <laughs> that's a, and she got the message across. He saw that. He said, all you give me is leftovers in our relationship. I never see you. And all you bring me is the, what's left. That's not why we got married. That's not why we're in this relationship. You need to take care of me. You get the message, right? And Jesus is talking to Paul saying, the one thing I really want is relationship with Jesus. I want this. I like the way the Amplified put it. Okay, expanded on it. My determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. Is this the pursuit we're on today? This is what we really want, isn't it? F.B. Meyer, one of the great commentators, said this, We may know him personally, intimately, face to face. But Christ does not live back in the centuries nor amid the clouds of heaven. He is near us, with us, compassing our path and our lying down and acquainted with all our ways. But we cannot know him in this mortal life except through the illumination and the teaching of the Holy Spirit. And we must surely know Christ, not as a stranger who turns in to visit for the night or as the exalted king of men. There must be the inner knowledge as of those whom he counts his own familiar friends, whom he trusts with his secrets, who eat with him of his bread. To know Christ in the storm of battle, to know him in the valley of the shadow, to know him when the solar light irradiates our faces or when they are darkened with disappointment and sorrow. To know the sweetness of his dealing with bruised reeds and smoking flax. To know the tenderness of his sympathy and the strength of his right hand. All of this involves many varieties of experience on our part, but each of them, like the facets of a diamond, will reflect the prismatic beauty of his glory from a new angle. That's what it means to know Christ intimately. Growing in this deeper knowledge of Christ is a lifelong process that will not be complete until we see him face to face. Western Christianity, of which we are a part, right, has a mistake. It has a foundational error that is widespread, and that is this statement. We believe, or have believed, that information leads to transformation. I've said it plenty of times. I'll probably say it plenty more. We have been sold educationally that the more we're enlightened and the more information we get, the more we're transformed. It's not true. You can have a head full of all kinds of knowledge and never have it change your life. What we need, I say it this way, this is the information but when the Holy Spirit brings and breathes upon his, his word and we get the information with revelation, now that will lead to transformation. I think in 1 John chapter 3 it says, we don't, we've not seen him, but we do know this. When we see him, we'll be like him. Do I have to wait for heaven? 
I'll stay right here until you fix it. Thank you. Good man. Do I have to wait to get to heaven to have transformation? No. Right? Romans 12.2 says I can have a transformed mind right now by the word. So I, what I need is a glimpse of Jesus. What I need is an encounter with, the, with this intimate friend. What I need is some time alone with Jesus. And maybe I need some time with you and Jesus. Because we're not in this alone. We live in community. We're built for being together. We're built for functioning in a place where the Bible calls it the one another scriptures, right? Love one another, pray for one another, forgive one another, bear one another's burdens. You cannot do that on your own by yourself. So it grieves me when I see people that pull back from fellowship or even being in cell groups and, and where they can be in a small community of people. It doesn't matter to me how it really happens as long as it's happening because you cannot fool yourself as a Western believer that you can do it alone. That's us. We're independent. We're solo flyers. You know, Americans, we like to do it our, ourself. It's all about me and what I got is important and doesn't include you. And we starve ourselves for the very thing that Jesus died for. When you look at the Godhead, you have a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If it was just God, one God all by himself, then he wouldn't need us. He'd be just all by himself. It'd be enough. If it's just God and the Son, Jesus, then they'd be a couple. They would just need each other. But as soon as we see the Father represented Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we see this triunity which builds community. You have flowing relationship between the three. The home becomes another illustration of this. But you have a husband, a wife, and then when the children come, you've just built community. And you are now reflecting the image and the glory of God. You're reflecting who he is, the triunity of God. We need each other, but we also need some time with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords all by our lonesomes, don't we? To get to know him. And when we experience him, when we have those glimpses of Jesus, those face-to-face moments, whether it's just spiritually discerned or otherwise, and I'm, then I get revelation of who he is in his person, then the transformation happens in my life. Things that I used to do are no longer important. We start to sound a little like Paul, like, hey, everything that was all about me, I just chucked it in the dumpster and traded it in to have this passionate relationship with knowing Jesus. I wrote down the word transformation. This 1997 song popped into my mind. We've sung it here plenty of times, but I realize now how old it is already. Golly, 97. Anybody not born yet? was a simple song it said I want to know you you could kind of hear it in your head when your heart beats I want to feel it when your voice speaks I want to hear it when your eyes cry I want to catch the tears I want to know you I think I would have loved to have been there when Daryl was writing that song because there was something going on in his spirit man that birthed that song wasn't just a nice ditty to give to the church. Probably happened in a closet or in a mountain gathering with Jesus or some place where he was having intimacy with Christ and he just began to express himself by the Spirit. God, this is how close I want to be to you. When you breathe, Lord, I want to breathe with you. When you make a move, I want to move with you. When you're calling, I want to answer you. 
because I want to know you. When we talk about intimacy, let me talk kind of to the men. Ladies, you can just check out, take a break, think about eating or shopping or something, whatever you like. Let me talk to the guys for a second. Men, when we talk about intimacy, I know it's going through your head because I am one. Let's kick it up a notch, okay? You say, we kick it up a notch. We want to have intimacy with Jesus. Well, that's not really a big part of our lifestyle or conversation most of the time. be honest. We don't think in those terms. Those are kind of female terms, intimacy and love and warm fuzzies. And Girls, you're not listening, are you? <laughs> they, they, really, they really like that. You know, it's nice for them. That's what life's about, and it's important. But guys, I don't see Paul as Mr. Warm Fuzzy. This guy's a man's man. He's the one that's challenging us to know Christ in a progressive intimacy. In such a way that it makes everything else we're involved in pale in contrast. We're about achieving. We're about getting into the job done. We're about having an assignment and a goal and, a, and, and performance. We're about being able to go back and look on the handiwork that we made for you that are builders or constructors. I was talking to Andy earlier. And I him and one other guy manages the whole community in their industry. They're responsible for making the whole system work in this community. Now, that's a lot of responsibility. But, you know, when you drive along the road and it's working, you probably feel pretty good about yourself. You know, you go home from work, you look in the mirror and say, hey, you know, I did something. That's us. That's how we're built. And Paul's saying, I want to take all that I do and have as accolades and, uh, and, and reinforcements from the world structures. And, you know, I'm a Pharisee. I'm a learned man. I'm a skilled man. Uh, I'm a strong man. I'm physically okay. I mean, I know Paul was physically okay. You, you want to know how, phys- how physically okay this guy was? I'll look at 1 Corinthians 11. You can turn there if you like, or I'll just, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 11. Let me just read you some of his credentials here. He's defending his apostleship. He says, are they Hebrews? Talking about some of the other guys who are claiming to be apostles. Are they Hebrews? He said, so am I. Are they Israelites? Well, so am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, he says. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure. Those are stripes, that's whippings. Above measure. In prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. You do the math, five times 39 lashings to the back. Three times I was beaten with rods. That's like a pole staff. Jab it into your rib cage, poke you anywhere in the body, just drive it into you like a broom handle. Beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils at the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brothers, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, often in cold and nakedness, and beside the other things, what comes on me daily, my deep concern for all the churches." Who's weak and I'm not weak? Who's made to stumble and I'm not burning with indignation? 
I, if I must boast, I'll boast in the things which confirm, concern my infirmity. Now, this is no puny guy here. This is no simple weakling, Paul the Apostle. I'm not sure I would have endured half of what he's been through. So, guys, he's talking to you from a position of strength, and he's saying, put everything else on a lower shelf and pursue Christ so that you can know him personally, revelatory, progressively. And have it be Inosco, where it's experiential. You really do know him. And the more you get to know him, the more you'll be like him. The more times you see him, the more transformation will go through in your life. The more things will drop off that are unnecessary. Not necessarily sin, just unnecessary. Because it slows you down in building relationships. Paul desired a righteousness that came by faith, not, as the Amplified says, a supposed righteousness that was come by fulfilling law or by doing events or by keeping the list. He said, I want that righteousness that comes by faith. The righteousness that was given to Abraham. Abraham, back in Genesis 15, God says, step outside. I'm going to... He says, I have no son. I have no inheritance. I have no, nobody in my own household to pass on things to. And God says, well, it's not going to be that servant of yours. Come here, step outside for a second. He steps outside of his tent. And he says, now take a look at the sky. Have you looked at the sky recently? It's so, it's so beautiful. With the clock change, you know, most of us were, could see it earlier now. You get up a little earth. But he said, look at the stars. He said, if you can count those, then you'll be able to count the number of your children. I'm going to make your offspring more than this that you can count. This is key. Abraham said Abraham believed God. I just believe him. I trust him. I don't know how, but he can do that. He's God. And God, you can use the Hebrew, you can use the Greek. This is accounted to us in the New Testament as well. That God imputed to him, accounted to him that his faith, was equal to righteousness. Uh, what the words in the, both Hebrew and Greek for us would say this, God took all things considered that had just happened, lined them up into credit and debit columns, added everything up and came down to a balance. And when he got to the balance, he said, this faith of Abraham's is just like my righteousness. It brings him into right standing with me. And so he's a righteous man. We get into the New Testament, Paul again is urging us, listen, you need to have this righteousness that comes by faith. You're saved by grace through faith, and that's not of yourselves. He said in Ephesians, it's a gift from God. You can't earn it. You can't have a list of accolades. I, I've got a degree in this, and I've got a, an accomplishment in that, and the community recognized me for this, and I've been this for this many years. And you can put all that right at the foot of the cross. Because that, this right here levels the playing field. We say, let's, I, Paul says, I just trade it all in. I want to know him. I want to know him. Better than I know him now. Which is probably a better challenge than I'm more knowing better than you. No, I want us all to know him better than we all know him now. Tomorrow should be a brighter day. A more intimate time with Christ. His righteousness being given to us 
imputed to us. It's the quality of being right standing with God. Simply by faith. It's not by works. You can't earn your way into heaven. You can't buy your way in. You can't get enough degrees. You can't get enough claims from men. It has to be by faith. Don't you like that? I like that because everybody can come. God made it open to everybody. If it would have been that education, well, I probably wouldn't have made it. Right? Don't agree too quickly, please. (laughs) I told Ed as he was getting ready to put the songs together for the service that just as a a thought, uh, I threatened that we were going to sing a hymn. It scared him, I think. On Christ the solid rock. Of course, if he'd have done the hymn, we know that it would have been a different version <laughs> than what I was thinking. <laughs> On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand, right? Our hope is built on nothing less than what? Jesus' blood and Jesus's righteousness. That's the solidity of our relationship is that he made us right with him. The reason I bring this up and maybe I'll continue in the next message with this about the righteousness of Christ that's given imputed to us. It's just given to us. is so that we will never be held out of relationship from him. If If my coming to the Father is dependent on my goodness then I'm probably not going to go very often. Come on. Is that how it is? It's like if I get up in the morning and I got a bad hair day at the beginning, I'm not going to go see him first because I feel like that prohibits me. My works aren't good enough. My attitude's not good enough. My, my goodness is not good enough. And God says, listen, on your best day, you're not good enough. On your most perfect performance, it's not good enough. If I hold to that standard, God says, do your very best and I'll still have to keep you away from me because I'm holy and you're not. Jesus steps in and says, will this be enough, Dad? And the Father says, that would be enough. That is always enough. So I get up and I say, Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, I'm having a bad hair morning. And, uh, but could we look to the cross? They say, come on in. Let's be in fellowship. Let's be in community. Let's derive life together. Let me shed another facet of who I am for you to be transformed by today. I'm never going to hold you out of my presence because of your lack of ability to be good. I already know you can't do it. So I made a way for you to come every day. I give you righteousness. Free. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I give you righteousness. And Paul puts this in almost every one of his letters. Romans, Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And God says, I invite you to be in this intimacy with me. I tell you, that song rings in my heart. It did most of the week. Because it's true. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and Jesus' righteousness, not mine. The Bible says, all my righteousness is like filthy rags. Do you have a picture in your mind of a filthy rag? Does something come to mind for you? Yeah. You got one at your house <laughs> somewhere? I always think of the rag that's been under the car in the old dusty 
garage where the oil dripped and, and the dust blew in under the door and there's weeds and stuff, but it all kind of congealed in that oil pan drip. And the rag has been laying in that for months, crusty and sticky and full of junk. And you grab that thing and go, and hold it up and you look at it and you say, God, this is my best day. So all my righteousness, all my ability to be in right standing with God is like this filthy rag. I don't have a chance. <laughs> yeah, bring that to the cross. Can I get in with this? Can I, is heaven, can I get in with this? Is this good enough? God says, no, it's not good enough. You have to have holiness. And, and uh, So how are you going to get that? He says, I'll, I'll provide it for you. <laughs> Obviously, you can't. So I'll do it for you. Allow my son to take your place, pay for your sins, take your penalty, take your punishment, take your future shame. Take your past, put it under the blood, give you a bright future, and let's just get together every day and hang out. I hope I'm depicting a real possibility for us this morning. It's hard for me at times to stand up and talk about God and our relationship with Him. I actually just want to run out and have it. Is that okay? We need to learn to have dependence on Jesus for everything. So... Perhaps in closing, I could just refer to a couple scriptures, Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4, and then go back to Philippians chapter 3. Colossians 3, 1 to 4. If you were raised with Christ, let's answer the question, were you raised with Christ? Yeah. Died with Christ, crucified, buried, resurrected with Christ. If you were raised with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Set your affections on things above. There's no promise of any real help in this world. Is there? And once you come to Christ, you're actually in a different kingdom. So you don't fit real well in the world anymore. Jesus said it would be that way. Doesn't mean we should isolate or that we should not participate. It just means that we're different. And sometimes when we get into a dark situation and our light's on, we show up and people wonder what that is. That's when we get to tell them the good news. Set your affections on things above. Look forward. Look hope-filled. Look with anticipation to today and tomorrow and what's going to come because he's promised this life would unfold his life in us. And back to Philippians chapter 3. Where we left off, verse 12 says, Paul says, not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brothers, I don't count myself to have laid hold of it or apprehended it, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and that is so key for all of us. You know, the enemy, maybe you'll catch this phrase and use it again sometime. The enemy, the devil, all the demons, they don't know the future, so all they can talk about is your past. That's all they were taught. You think about it. 
next time you're feeling accused. It's not about your bright future that's being conversed about. It's your past. So he only knows the past. He doesn't know the future. He talks about your past. But you can tell him what's coming in the future. Forgetting those things which are behind. Agreeing with God about them. They're taken care of. They're paid for. They're under the blood. I don't live there anymore. That's not me. I don't do that. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a brand new creation. I'm going to focus on the word. I'm moving forward in abundant living. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I do know, as the song says, who holds tomorrow. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's us. Forgetting the past, reaching ahead, pressing toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Our union with Jesus Christ brings us so many benefits. We, we receive his righteousness. He gives us the power to live it out. We have personal intimacy and fellowship with the God of the universe again. And we have this future glory we're looking forward to. I mean, our future is bright. We're in troubled times, right? But they don't trouble God much. He's stable. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. When you find yourself sinking, get back on the rock. Start casting your gaze forward and, and, and upward. Start looking for relationship with Christ. I, I hope that some of you can teach me in our conversations. I hope that in the lighthouses and the cell groups when we gather, we could coach and encourage one another. How do you get this relationship going? How do you make it function? I mean, we're all different personality types, right? We, we approach things differently. But how do you do it? How do you actually manage this relationship with Christ, this intimacy? What makes it work for you? Maybe I could try that. Maybe next time I'm alone with Jesus, he and I could do that together, and I would know him more intimately as well. We're supposed to exhort one another and provoke one another to good works, right? Okay, everybody's had enough, say, I'm done. Oh, come on, you really believe it. How do you say, keep going? No, you're feeding my addiction. Father, I I thank you for giving us a privilege, a place to gather that is not restricted yet, an openness in talking about you and with you. Lord, I pray that this passage of your word, this exhortation from Paul would be on our hearts for some time. We wouldn't forget it quickly to see that there is the possibility, the very real today possibility of having a deeper intimacy with you than we've ever had. Maybe not getting it all at once, Father, but we'd sure like to have the next step. I'd like to have the next part. I'd like to see a revelation come from what we know so that that brings us to transform living. In you, Lord Jesus, thank you for taking up residency within us. Holy Spirit, thank you for manifesting the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. Help us to derive our life from you, not from ourselves. For we are dead. We've been crucified with you. Nevertheless, we still are alive. 
We have a mission here. You know that you've given it to us. Empower us, Holy Spirit. Live out through us the life of Jesus that we might be overcomers with you, that we might encourage others to know you. We do ask it in the name of Jesus because we believe in him who saved us. Amen. Amen.